asked to share the word a little bit for us to help us pray. Uh, the direction is that we're praying for revival in the local assembly. And I like what William McDonald writes in the book of, uh, beginning of his book of True Discipleship, something to this effect. Um, the things, Bill is speaking here, and he says the things that I'm writing, uh, even though the author hasn't come up to the mark, still they're true. And uh, don't let that be hindrance to you. And uh, the scripture to back that is, you know, every man a liar, but may God be true. And uh, we're going to talk about some things that I know for a fact um, I need to change and uh, fix in my life so that there's revival. Just some thoughts. You know, Peter says we're just going to remind you. I know I'm among seasoned saints here, but uh, we just want to look at the scriptures and then go to prayer. Revival. We're coming for revival. Revive. Come back to life. What would that look like? What's what's the what's the definition? Be, I I think the goal would be to come back to what would a revived Christian be? I think it'd be very simply. It's been talked about before. A, a man, a woman, a child who's led by and completely yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. That's as good as you can get it. Then you walk out those days until God calls you home. Right? Be led by the Spirit. Be yielded to His directives, His direction. Um, Is there a model Christian in the Scriptures? There's a number, but there's one in particular who even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul, right? Apostle Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. So there is this, there's a great model Christian. Is there a model church? Thessalonians? Correct. I'm thinking the whole book of Acts, right? The first century church. They didn't need revival. They were in it. That was it. And I want to encourage, uh, I know we're with some elders here too, which is fantastic. And uh, I want to encourage us to continue doing just what we're doing here. Uh, We're going to talk about, remind us of a few things. Jesus is the one who came in and stirred up the temple big time. Only time recorded he ever got physically violent on earth yet. Right? He's going to get very angry soon. The only time he ever got physically violent, violent, turning over tables, turning over the money tables and not letting the people come through. I have to believe his voice was raised. He was angry and he was correcting, uh, giving the direction of what it's not to be a house of robber, uh, a robber's den. Right. Just making money and just worried about the things of this world, and this life. But it is to be. I believe, you know, that's as. He always is using his platform to give us truth. My house. It's my house. And we know it's not the building, but it's when we come together. It's when we're with our family together. It's we are the house individually as a family, right? And the Christians together. We are Jesus's house, the Holy Spirit. That's it. Brethren, my house will be called a house of prayer. Uh, Brother Malcolm was just saying how refreshed he's been with this, even though there's only been a few. This is the way church is supposed to be. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. 
this is it. There's, it, it, it takes the wonderful teaching of the word to the letter, which what? Kills if you're not careful, right? Without the spirit uh, presence and, and working in that. Uh, but it takes it from the cold knowledge just what? Puffs up. We've got the knowledge. The assemblies have the knowledge. I mean, we're always learning more, and, and I'm probably not going to say anything new even now. And uh, I, I do learn new things, of course, but uh, it takes us from the religion to the relationship. Prayer does, right? That's what's missing in the church in America, in, in, in the church at large. And the church meaning, again, the people of God. We need to allow. He's the one. It's his house. He gave us the blueprint. There it is. My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For all the nations to come in. Anybody? All the tribe tongues. And then to pray for all the nations. Which leads to our next point. And these are just reminders, right? So if we want to see revival, it's not going to come. Unless we uh, repent, change our mind, right? Which is going to change our action to be a house of prayer. Which leads to our next point. Why is that so? Why does God want us to be praying for all the nations? And I'm going to uh, let us think about this by a question. And I want some answers. Give me Bible verses now. Respond. Some Bible verses. Why did Jesus come to earth? Anybody? Okay. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Son of man, Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. That's one verse. There's a number of different verses. Come to, anybody have, have any other that come to your mind? That specifically say he came. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance, to save them. I'm seeking after them. Yes. Exactly. Good. And I would like to go backwards one verse. Let's quote John 3.16 together. Think, why did Christ come to earth? Let's say it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have, shall have everlasting life. And then the verse that our young brother said, For God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, not his first time, right? But came into the world that through him the world should be saved. Who should be saved? The world should be saved. Another verse. First John chapter two, verse two. Very and you notice they're kind of all saying the same thing, aren't they? The propitiation for us. The wrath absorber, right? God's wrath is satisfied through the sacrifice of his son. For who? Us? Is that what it says? First John 2, 2? Not only for us, for the whole world. The most famous verse in the whole world. John 3, 16. God so loves the world. 
He's got a plan. He's got a program. And we need to be reminded through the scriptures and change to affix to that program. And then everything will be okay. Except, by the way, you will have persecutions. And eternal life, right? Jesus said, whoever gives up his house, his families, and all this, you're going to have a hundred times more than that because you're going to inherit a whole big family on planet Earth in this life. And with it, persecutions, and then eternal life. We're in eternal life now, but the culmination, the fulfillment of it. There's a few more verses I'd like you to write down. Why Christ came. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15. We know 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation, right? What's it say before that? He died for all. There's that word again. So that they who live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who died and rose again on their behalf. So he's come. I like, I like, I don't know why, but God seems to always have this on my heart. I need to look at the big picture. And the big picture is Romans 8, 28 and 29. God made a world. He created a world. Why? Because he wants to make more children just like his beloved son. So that his son, one day in this world, this completed salvation, is going to be the preeminent one. That's the whole Bible. That's what he says. All things. All things working together for that purpose. And, of course, they have to be saved. And so why does he allow sin? Well, that's part of his plan to demonstrate who he is and put his son on display so that his son could what? Not regard equality with God, something to be grasped or held on to, but empty himself. That's his son, a humble, obedient son. And God wants more just like him. Why even that? I think the key is found in John 6, 37, I think it is. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And I'll not cast them out, right? The father is giving a gift to his son. It's all in honor of his son. This is a family affair. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get included in it and we get the byproduct, as it were, of the joy of salvation for all eternity. But it's not about us. It's about the father so honored, so glorifying the son, so pleased with the son. That he's reaching down to a world and going to make more children in his exact image. Wow. So that the ultimate purpose, he, the son, might be the firstborn, the preeminent one. Among many brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. That's the big picture. So now we bring it down to... 68th and Pines, 2015. The Bosworth family going up north for a little getaway time and some uh, uh, instruction on the what they're going for for their homeschooling things. And us and me coming from up north down here and you from... And all this coming together for what? For God's big picture. To reach a lost and dying world. To make them like Christ. The model church, the book of Acts. He comes to take these once rebellious enemies of his, right? 
so that they no longer live unto themselves, but unto him, Christ, who died and rose again on their behalf. One more verse, Romans 14, 9, why Christ came. He came so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He came that he might be the Lord, the firstborn, the master, the God who rules of both the dead and the living. And so when Jesus Christ came to earth, the father is the first evangelist. Sends his son. His son comes to seek and to save that which was lost. Is Christ's work finished? Yes and no. His work is finished to save the propitiation once and for all. We know that. But Luke says it's not finished. The second verse of Acts chapter 1. Theophilus, I wrote you the first record, the account, all the facts of what Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is very clear. He's still doing it. And he is. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? The church, that's us. We're the ones that are called. The Father sends the Son. As the Father sent me, so I send you. For what? For world evangelization. This is not the voice of an evangelist. I'm not even sure if I'm an evangelist. If I am, the correct use of the gift is to equip the saints to fulfill the work of the ministry. And so we've got Jesus coming, going fishing. Everything he did was for the sake of the gospel. Later, Paul writes that, doesn't he? Wow. Everything. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the image of Christ that he's making us into. Doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regarding one another more important than yourself. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of all others. Have this attitude. Have this mind. This image in yourself which was also in Christ and then Christ lives it out to the maximum. The highest one becomes the lowest one. Also that in eternity he's the crown and glory of it all. And then after that's all done the son just as humble as he is gives it all back to the father so that we can all be children and the father dwelling among us, with us, us with him, him and us, us and him. Amazing. Christ ones, little Jesuses. Not in the Mormon sense that we all become gods, of course. No, Christ always our creator. All that Christ began to do and teach. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I wish I was good at computers and all that stuff. I was going to ask somebody else to do it for me, but I didn't have a chance. I would have loved to have a, a nice little PowerPoint. But maybe you can imagine with me as we look. The model church is almost completely found in one verse. We're talking revival in the local assembly. That's Acts 2.42. 
You know it as soon as I say those numbers. We got the knowledge. Some of us, hopefully. Doesn't mean you, if, you know, you're less if you don't have it. That's okay. Look at Acts 2, um, actually 41, just to give the backdrop. Peter just gets done preaching. Pentecost, right? What changed Peter, by the way? I know you're going to say, well, now he's the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, of course. Go and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. The last commandment of Jesus Christ to his disciples. Go and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. The promise from the Father. Stated way back in Ezekiel 36 from one place, the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you. And then you're going to be able to do, you're going to be able to be like Christ and reach out and love a lost and dying world. So Peter preaches, but what changed him? Because you think of Peter, he denies the Lord, right? Picture with me that night, Thursday night. It's dark out. We know that because there's campfires going on, right? And he, it's not clear what that, maybe you know the word curse there. It says he, he called down curses the third time. Was he actually profa- using profanity? I think so. Or at least making a, you know, let God curse me if I know that man. It's not true. I don't know him. I don't even know him. Just a, I don't know, a few hours ago. He was saying, Lord, I'll die. He just sliced off Malchus's ear. But now he's a coward. When he sees Jesus, he's beginning to get beaten. Remember? That's the picture. He's seeing Jesus being abused, physically beaten. Whoa, this is getting pretty heavy. He's afraid in his flesh. And he denies he even knows the Lord. And then Christ is crucified that next morning, right? Six hours hanging on the cross. He dies Friday. If that's indeed what happens. And 3 p.m. He's, he's dead. He pays for the, the sins of the world. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The earth is shaking. And we can only imagine. We've all, uh, well, maybe we haven't all the children perhaps. But uh, as grown-ups, we know what it's like to lose a loved one. Nobody experienced the depth of of mourning and grieving like the apostles and the disciples did. They not only lost their best friend, their teacher, their guide, their leader, their they, their God was dead, they thought. Their God did die. And they didn't have a clue. They didn't understand the resurrection. It says the women came and they were grieving and weeping and mourning. And they still didn't even believe it. I mean, imagine the confusion. They give up their, uh, their families, right? That's what Mark and Matthew say. Jesus says, come and follow me, guys. I'll make you become fishers of men. They left their nets. James and John left their nets. Their businesses... James and John left their nets, their business, their father, their family, and the servants. Must have been a good business. A wealthy family, right? We're following Jesus, Dad. He's going to make us fishers of men. They didn't understand all that. And that was a supernatural call, obviously, but they made a choice. They said, yeah, we're going to leave everything and follow Jesus Christ.
And Peter was there for those whole three, three and a half years with the Lord. And he denies the Lord. Only hours before he slices off the slave's ear, ready to die for Christ. That's what he said. All the apostles in agreement. We'll die too, Lord. We're not going to. It doesn't matter. Jesus is now dead. They had to be incredibly confused. Worse than confused. I mean, when you lose somebody, you die. I, I know many of you have very, very godly uh, loved ones that have died. And, and you're, you're sure, beyond sure, beyond sure. You just know. You've even watched them and seen, maybe, or heard as they went into glory with maybe praising God or singing or saying something that was incredible. But some of us have lost loved ones and not sure where they went. And some of us have lost loved ones. We, they died in agony. And it wasn't such a beautiful home going. And the confusion almost, you know. And, and, and yet you know that if you know they were saved, you know they're in glory. But just the confusion sometimes. But here, these guys, they lost everything. And just, and then of course, three days later, I want to present to you that it was the resurrection that completely caused these men and women to be willing to lay down their lives. And they did, didn't they? History tells us that, that most of those witnesses, they were willing to not only be killed themselves to deny Christ, to not deny Christ, but watch their children first be fed to the lions, their wives, and then the husband, the father. Wow. Wow. It's okay. We touched him. We saw him. We ate with him. Jesus Christ is alive. Then on top of all that, until you're clothed with power from on high. I don't want to go too far here, but uh, we know that the 11 on the day of Pentecost already had the Holy Spirit. John 20 says that, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what that all means, except I know that if Jesus said receive the Holy Spirit and He breathed on them, I can assure you they received the Holy Spirit. Now we know that the completed program of God was at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit from that moment on now permanently indwells every believer. Did they only get a temporary filling? I don't know. It's They received the Holy Spirit. Go wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Then you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit given to complete the program of God. Of what? God loving the world. And reconciling them to himself. And so Peter preaches this message. And then in verse 41, Pentecost is here. Look at verse 41. So then those who had received his word, those who believed the message, the message of reconciliation, were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And here's the verse. Here's the church. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So I, I, I drew a little sketch again. I wish I could have had it on the overhead. But the foundation, imagine this house, this building, I, I guess a house with four corners in it, okay? Uh, 
You can imagine like the guest home over there, just a rectangle of some sort. The foundation, according for the church and for all that we're talking about, is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation, right? Then it also says the laid upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So you might have the second slab. But of course, Jesus Christ, the everything, right? The foundation. But here's these four pillars of the church. And, I, I, and in my drawing, if you can imagine, I wrote on that top of that second slab, you got the first one, the foundation Christ. The second one is the apostles and the prophets, meaning the word of God, right? The teaching of the scriptures. And then I wrote, believe the message baptized. And now you got these four pillars. What did they do then? What did they do then? Well, they continually devoted themselves. There's only one verb there. Only one. And then the devoted themselves to is a, I forget what it is in my sentence diagramming, an adverbial, yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> but it modifies what they were devoting themselves to. Four things. The Apostles' Doctrine. That's the New Testament. We got that down as far as the teaching of it. Not have it down, but you know what I mean. And especially this assembly here, you were so blessed with teaching, 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 good teaching, solid teaching. We need the teaching. Devoting themselves to the teaching. And James says not just to hear it, right, but to do what it says. The second thing, devoted themselves continually to what? Apparently in the Greek it's the fellowship. And you see that in the following verses. They began selling any elder stuff in case anybody, if somebody had a need Hey, I don't need two shirts. Here, you have one. You don't have one? You guys need something to continue to serve the Lord? Well, here, I'll give to you. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And then they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. Right? That's the third pillar. You can see this house. And if any one of those pillars is out of whack, the rest of the, the roof, which we're going to get to in just a minute, is the, the, the house is... Crooked. It's messed up. And the fourth thing is prayer. Continually devoted themselves to prayer. And we need to do that. And, and they have to be in balance. And I think we would all agree that the church in America, we're out of balance, especially with prayer. We are. We are. To really be pleading. And, and then the roof would look, I wrote on it just... Uh, what. Is there anything else that this early church was doing? The whole rest of the book. Finishing what Jesus began to do and teach. Making disciples, right? The whole rest of the book. The roof is the gospel. And if you want to make it the old-fashioned church, you put a little cross up there, right? That's it. And that's our model. The model church, the book of Acts. Focusing on his word, house of prayer, and then go. Go. I want us to look at some scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Just some reminders for all of us. Helping us to refocus. Reminding us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at this model Christian, the Apostle Paul. Scriptures say that he said, and the Holy Spirit allowed him to say with no correction, that follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ. So he must be 
He is. We know he is. Not a perfect man. He was wrestling with sin just like us, right? But in chapter 9, verse 16, we'll start there. For if I proclaim the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So, brethren, I've been asked to speak on revival in the local assemblies. And I just want to go from that from the book of Acts. Those four pillars with the roof. Aiming at the fulfilling of world evangelization. All are, that's the theme. I, 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 love to, uh, uh, I love to tell the story. Right? It will be my what? Theme. For all glory is going to be our theme. That's what it's all going to be about. That Christ came and rescued us. And now we're like him. And we're with, he said, not only his father, but now he's our father. Wow. That's what it's all about. Eternity. And everything, the purpose of the church is, yes, yes, the, the saints have to grow. For what purpose? Timothy 2.2, right? Second Timothy 2.2. We become disciples so we can make more disciples. We go and make disciples of all the nations. We go and proclaim the gospel to all the world. And then we come back together and we get stronger. We grow in the word. We dedicate ourselves to these four things. We're worshiping Christ. But we're going to go out and finish the task of Christ until he comes. So that we can all be together for the ultimate Bible study for all eternity. The living word himself. So I'd like to just kind of focus and remind us about the house of prayer. We're going to pray about these things as the Lord would lead us. How do we have revival in this local assembly, the local assemblies? A house of prayer founded upon the teaching of the scriptures, right? Aimed at the Great Commission. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel... For if I do this voluntarily, verse 17, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me against my will. I believe Paul preached the gospel against his will sometimes. He always, he battled with his flesh like you and I, right? What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He's talking in this uh, passage here about uh, giving freely and not taking support from them. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself, you might want to underline this, I have made myself a slave to all. Why? Why? The purpose. Why? That I might win the more. The model Christian. Just following, imitating Christ, right? That's what he said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's all Paul lives for. I've made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, he explains how he did that. I became like a Jew that I might win Jews, right? He has Timothy circumcised because he wanted to make sure that there was more Jews going to get saved. He knew that Timothy not being circumcised, his dad being a, a, a Gentile, would stop some from even wanting to come in here, Right? And he wasn't making any, uh, uh, um, what's the word I want? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> um, can't think. He wasn't changing doctrine. He wasn't compromising. He wasn't making any compromise there. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being under the law myself, that I might win those. There it is again. Why am I doing all this? So that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. I lived as without being under the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? There it is again. In order that I might win those who are without the law. He had one purpose. To the weak, I became weak, verse 22, that I might win the weak. I become, look at this, look at this. I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That's why I started out the way I started this, this session. You know, just because I'm not doing it. I am so, I, I don't do all things for the sake of the gospel. Jesus did. Paul, who was following Christ, perhaps the closest of any example, at least in written, doing all things for the sake of the gospel, that I might win some. Why? Because that's God's plan. God so loves the world. He's waiting for the church. He's given the task. We'll see in in the second book, right? The ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. I'm free, but I make myself a slave so that I might win the more. Become all things that I might win the more. Become all things to all men that I might by all means save or win some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. What's the context? Running in order to win souls. That's the context. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That's what he was saying. I control myself. I do everything for the sake of the gospel. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the, the air, shadow boxing. No, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let God just interpret everyone's own application here. I am not saying we all have to be street preachers, but all I know is the scriptures are teaching us that God loves the world, not just me. The gospel is for the world. And he passed it on to the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit, the apostles teaching us. And there's our example, that I might win some. Go to chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Here he uses the word neighbor. He doesn't say one another. Neighbor is all those people out there. And the context, he's still in the same context. His life is for one purpose. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Jump down to verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Of course, there's uh, just coming here this, this afternoon, uh, 
cooking, washing dishes, doing the laundry for your children, right? Taking care of your husband and, and, and husbands loving their wives. That's all for the glory of God. So they're not, quote unquote, preaching the gospel at every moment. But that's, that's, it all fits into, it funnels down into that to win some for the glory of Christ. We're honoring Christ. We're worshiping Christ. And he came to seek and to save the lost. And the church you read in the book of Acts, it says even after they got beat up and persecuted, they came back and they prayed. They said, praise the Lord. Now, Lord, make us bold so that we can keep preaching, sharing your message, sharing the gospel. And again, I'm very convicted by this. Give no offense, verse 32, either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many. There it is again, that they may be saved, that they may be saved. And the next verse, be imitators. The NAS, I'm I'm speaking from the NAS, be imitators or follow me, right? Just as I also follow Christ, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Wow. Wow. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 10. The last couple of verses of chapter 4 talk about, you know, our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed, these momentary light afflictions. What light afflictions? The ones that Paul was incurring because he only did all things for the sake of the gospel. James and John gave up everything for the sake of the gospel. Jesus gave up everything for the sake of the gospel. And then in the first nine verses, he's talking about how our outer man is just falling apart, right? Our teeth is falling out. Our hair is falling out. Our bones are aching. We're, 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 we're fading away. We're like grass. But we can't wait. We're groaning. We're groaning for the redemption of our bodies, right? The adoption as sons to be complete. When we get our new bodies, we're all together. I will just start with verse 9 maybe. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home, that means in this life, in this body, or absent when we die, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul knew he was going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And he earlier said he was entrusted, right? With the stewardship. And he wanted to be fulfilling that. He wanted to be rewarded for that from the Lord when he met the Lord Jesus on that awesome, awesome day that we all must appear before our precious Lord. And uh, the next couple of verses, he talks just about uh, his own personal there with the church. We can read that. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion, Corinthians, to be proud of us that we may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and about the false teachers putting down Paul's a reputation that for if we are beside ourselves, if we act like we're crazy, we're out of our mind, <laughs> if we're willing you know, to, to, to be beat up and killed and shipwrecked and all these things, it's for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ, the love of Christ, His love for us, our love for Him, His love for us, 
constrains, controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. There it is again. One died for all. Therefore, all died. And he, Christ, died for all, so that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now, we know him thus no longer. So we used to just, be, this has two possibilities here. Before Paul says, I was a Christian, I just knew of Christ. He was just a man to me. But now I see him so much differently now that I'm converted, obviously. He's God. He's, he's my Lord. He's my master. He's my everything. And could he possibly even be seeing, saying that uh, before he was converted, he, he saw Christ in, in, in one sense uh, only in the flesh. And now he sees him from the eternal perspective. And now we see all men that way, right? Now we see all men. Now that we have the Holy Spirit, we're, we're redeemed ourselves. When, when we're controlled, yielded to the Holy Spirit, we're looking around us and all we see is souls. Eternal perspective. People. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And I believe the context there is how we are beholding people, perhaps. And at least that's partially true there. How we're beholding people. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We used to just think about according to the flesh, but now we see things so differently. Now all these things are from God. Now here it is, these next few verses. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I was re-underlining some things this morning in, in, in the word here. Reconciled us. To himself. The word reconcile, Vine says it means to uh, change from enmity to friendship. It means to reestablish friendly relationships, relation between two or more parties, to settle a quarrel, to heal, to harmonize, to reconcile. We were his enemies, but God, what's it say there? Reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then what does he do? Verse 18. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling. And namely, that what? That God was in Christ reconciling the word, the world, the world. Look at that. Reconciling the world to himself. So first he reconciles us to himself. Then verse 19, he reconciles the world to himself through us, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. So this reconciliation takes place through a message. A message is proclaimed by one who's already been reconciled. A message, the message of reconciliation is received. Boom. Somebody else gets reconciled. Awesome. And God allows us, he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. And he's given us the message of the reconciliation. Reconciling the word to himself, verse 19, not counting the trespasses against him, he has committed to us the word, the, the message of the reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador means a diplomat, of highest rank. Permanently representing a sovereign. Wow. We are permanently representing our sovereign. We are Christ's ambassadors down here in enemy territory. 
The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are Christ's ambassadors taking this message of reconciliation because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation because God wants to reconcile the whole world to himself. And what is the simple message? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God himself were entreating through us. And Paul writes in his letter, I know there's some people going to read this. We're begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the simple message. Go to Romans chapter 10. A few verses we're just going to finish up here. Romans 10. All stemming from John 3.16, isn't it? God so loved the world. He's going to reach. He's going to reconcile this world by giving His Son. And as one person gets reconciled, they're so ecstatic. God gives them His own Spirit to be the power source of it all, to go out and share that same message with another, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another, until He's reconciled the world. Not saying all are saved. That's not what I'm saying. Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, he agrees, resulting in salvation. Verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him if they don't believe in him? Right? Nobody's going to call on Jesus to save them if they don't believe. They need to be saved and they don't believe that he can save them. How shall they believe if they've never heard that they need to be saved? If they've never heard that Jesus is the only one who can save them, will save them. And how shall they hear without a proclaimer? That's what that word preacher means. Somebody to tell them. Verse 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I was in India one of the times I was there and... uh, up in North India, very hostile. There's a, at the time, there was a quite large uh, ministry there, a brother named uh, M.A. Thomas, and a big yearly annual convention, hundreds of Bible students graduating, going out into the mission field the next day with no money promised. Um, I've sat with, uh, we call him Dr. Thomas, we sat with Dr. Thomas. He would take his uh, students who were mostly started out as his orphans. Had 2,000 orphans in the one compound there, right in the middle of hell. Kota, Rajasthan, a very hostile area. You walk to the front of this huge cement building that God raised up. And uh, you walk up front and uh, you stand there and you see this big plaque. Kind of, uh, probably 
three foot square or something like that, and all the names of those that had been martyred just in their ministry alone. The last one was a father and a husband warned over and over to stop preaching or they would kill him. They came and they cut him up in pieces, threw him in a burlap bag, threw him in a lake. Wow. This big, huge convention also had 2,000 yearly would come full-time workers. Many of the Bible students, like I said, started out as orphans. They called him Papa. And uh, they would be taught the Bible in the orphanage. Then he would train them up to go out and be missionaries. And I sat with Dr. Thomas as he would teach his uh, disciples. Um, it was a three-year school, and he had already raised up others to do the, the majority of the teaching. But he would come in and take them for the last uh, couple weeks, the three-year students who were going out into the mission field. And he would pray with them and teach them from the scriptures why the most glorifying death to the Lord would be a martyr's death. Wow. I had to sit through that teaching. It's powerful. And uh, at the graduation ceremony, he's with the Lord now. I can still remember... uh, he was a giant of a man. Most Indians are not that big. He was a six foot four inch. He was a giant of a man. And uh, he called some of his uh, full time workers to the platform as they were uh, in between preaching times. They preached for four days, four day conventions, preaching, praying, preaching, praying, and food. And th- a few thousand people there. Different languages, sometimes three translators. It's pretty cool. And. Uh, he called some of the workers there and he just wanted to honor them. Humble little quiet guy standing there, ashamed to be up there, three or four of them uh, in front of the, and they were the full-time workers and he just went on and gave their testimonies how this guy had been beaten, this guy's leg was cut off and, and uh, they're still living but they had suffered for Christ. And he wasn't able to get on his knees but he had them put... Uh, each one of them lift up their feet one at a time. And he wasn't just doing it for a show. I know Dr. Thomas. He was crying. And he wanted to kiss their feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. We'll end with Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. We know, uh, I think it's chapter 12 where John tells us that this is actually Jesus. It's the Son of God that Isaiah saw here. So he sees Christ sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood before him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Wow. This place shaking, not from the, from the Lord, but just from the voice of the angel. Wow. Then I said, Isaiah says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm, un, I'm ruined, I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. My Bible says saying. The Lord, I believe, is still saying. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. He's still saying today. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The Trinity speaking here. Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. We'll just go to prayer now. I just wanted to read two more verses for you if you just listen from Mark. And Jesus summoned the multitude with his disciples, so the multitude and his disciples, and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now it doesn't say it here in this passage, but other places he said, Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. The next verse says, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. Revival for the local assembly is the church in the book of Acts. It's God loving the world. Saving lost souls. It's Jesus being sent by the Father to come and seek those and to save them. And then it's Jesus sending us out to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray.